I like to emphasize the qualities of attitude, intention, and effort in uh, bringing those into clear focus. It's very easy for us, whether we are very new to the practice or we've been doing this for decades and decades, the mind easily gets entrenched in particular habits of attitude, particular ways of operating, familiar intentions, and those well-worn tracks can be unquestioned, unnoticed not even aware that they are tracks, habits and conditioning of the mind. But to bring attention to these, the attitude of the mind, the intentions that we have, the direction that we are setting, the effort, the way that we work with this body, this mind, this life, It's so important, crucial, to bring attention to these, to see what assumptions are being made, what habits we all have, to recognize what's skillful and beneficial and liberating, and what's obstructive leads to more dukkha. I was very struck by the phrase in the reading from Lumpur teachings yesterday evening. I think the last line that is the opening paragraph of that reading was, uh, if you believe you're going to die, then you'll be reborn. If the body is not self, then what is it that dies? Bodies die, they get born, they die. But if the body is not self, why do we think, I will die? Why do we think that's an immovable, unshakable, fixed reality? Amravati is called the deathless realm. The clue is right there in the label. (laughs) The name of the place we're all living is the deathless realm. Yet, so easy for the mind to be entrenched in those attitudes. I was born, I will die, I am so many years old. This is my name, this is who I am. This is my position in the society, in the community, in the family. So easily the mind drifts into practicing based on self-view and conceit. So at the beginning of a retreat period like this, it's very important, beneficial. Bring attention to this. What is the mind assuming? What do we take for granted? As Lumpur Sumato would put it, that idea that I'm an unenlightened being who's got to do something now in order to become enlightened in the future. On one worldly level, On the personal condition level, yes, we can say that's true. Like, today is Thursday the 5th of January, 12th night. 
there's a conventional validity there, but it can't be the whole story. We take these things to be fixed, rigid, immovable truths. Let's reflect upon that statement of Longpo Charles. If you believe you're going to die, then you'll be reborn. If we practice based upon self-view, then you're creating more causes for suffering. So, and Longpo Sumato would encourage changing that view, changing the attitude, changing the intention and the effort, going from I'm an unenlightened being who's got to do something now in order to become enlightened in the future, to being awake, embodying awakenedness here now, knowing the personal arising and passing, but not being born into the personal, into this body with its age, its aches and pains, its name, its gender, its personal story. Rupanganata. Say it every day. The body is not self. But it takes effort. Careful attention, ordered attention, yoni so manasikara, to challenge those assumptions, to look directly at those habits, to feel them, how convincing they are to go against those. To refresh the attitude, the intention, and the effort to be free of conceit, free of self-view, and to be established instead in mindfulness and wisdom. It can be very deceptive. Certainly from personal experience, I've seen how in the past the mind, in a retreat situation, things are very quiet. You can be very concentrated, have a lot of energy, be very focused, very diligent. The mind can be very bright, very clear. But still, if it's being influenced by the habits of eye-making and mind-making, ahankara, Amamankara. It's inevitably frustrating. It can't be liberating. During my tenth reigns, I was given the opportunity to spend the vasa in the what was then the one kuti in the forest at Chithurst. This is back in 1988. And I would just stay in the kuti in the forest throughout and most of the time, coming into the house once a day to receive alms food. On Patimoka days, I would come and spend the night practicing meditation with the rest of the community. So this is a few weeks into the winter retreat, and one of these lunar nights was sitting in the shrine room at Chithurst before the Dhamma Hall was built. 
And my mind was very concentrated, very bright, very energetic, very clear. Not making any claims, but it was the effect of a lot of solitude, a lot of formal practice, lack of conversation and duties. The things were very, very energetic, very bright, very clear. And throughout the night, there was always a sense of any moment now, there'll be the breakthrough. It's just over there, just a little bit left, a little bit right, push a bit harder, slacken off a bit. And all night long, there was this kind of efforting with a sense of that freedom or realization or peace was just over there, just out of reach, just nearby, any moment now, through the whole night. So this was all the way through till dawn of the next day. And so this was very frustrating. You know, it was many, many hours sitting there, watching the, the mind and trying to work with the mind in this way. And I went back to the forest, walked back to the Maikuti in the, the Chithurst forest at dawn. And now that the night was over, I lay down. And with a kind of sense of disappointment or frustration, so I put my head on the pillow, went to sleep, and then woke up about 20 minutes later. I thought, oh, God, I can't even sleep. This is really annoying. So I so clambered out of my sleeping bag, threw it into a crumpled heap in the corner and just dumped myself down on it. Okay, I give up. As soon as I slumped down on this pile of sleeping bag and gave up completely, my mind went astonishingly clear. Very peaceful, very bright, very clear. The kind of state I've been trying to get to all night long. <laughs> but it only appeared when I gave up, when I threw in the towel, as it were. So I was almost slumped there, chuckling to myself. Oh, <laughs> after all that efforting, all that me getting somewhere, when that's finally let go of, or that's dropped, then, then the natural peace of the mind has a chance to appear. It's uh, unobstructed by the me and mine, eye-making and mind-making. Again, I'm not making any claims of uh, enlightenment, but it was a very powerful teaching, a very strong teaching. All that, and there was effort, there was concentration, there was energy. The mind wasn't wandering, there was very, very little in the way of distracted thought. All the ingredients were there, but so was I. <laughs> the final fatal ingredient, me. The I, the doer, I, the meditator, I, the one who's making the effort. And that's always going to lead to frustration. A little later that morning, sitting in the kuti, the door of that kuti, in the, I'm not sure if it's the same these days, it had two glass panels, two windows in the door. And there was a, an insect buzzing against the glass in a kind of frantic and furious way, trying to reach the light outside, stuck inside the kuti, bashing its head against the glass and furiously fluttering its wings and over and over again beating its head against the glass. So I thought, oh, poor thing, I'll, I'll help it. But then the more I tried to help it, 
the more stressed and frantic, agitated it became. Again, me trying to do something to help only made that frustration of that insect longing for the light, beating its head against the glass, only made the situation worse. So I then had a memory of my own experience a few hours before. I thought, okay, let's just give up and leave it. So then the insect, after a little while, settled down, started wandering along the frame of the glass in the door, just gently strolling along, waited for the right moment, and very gently picked up a piece of card and then nudged it. As it took off, it was able to swing around the door, which was open, (laughs) and uh, make its way into the free air. As it was beating its head against the glass, the door was open the whole time. It was not shut in the kuti, but it kept flying against what it looked, what it assumed was open space, and kept meeting this obstruction. So this is like the, our effort, bashing against self-view, bashing against ignorance, and wondering why, why am I not making any progress? Why am I not getting anywhere? <laughs> and then when the appropriate effort was made, the timing was fitting to the situation, the appropriate effort was made, then that obstruction disappeared. The insect was able to fly free. So all analogies are only partially applicable. It's not a perfect image, but I think a good enough one. When we find ourselves beating our head against the glass, trying to make progress, longing for the light, take a moment to stop, be still. Who is it that's making all this effort? Who is trying to get somewhere? What is it that owns this moment? Who is trying to practice to get rid of distraction? Who is trying to be concentrated? Who is trying to develop wisdom? Does this mind have an owner? Is effort done by a me? Is this my mind that's being worked with? So when we relax, like leaving the insect alone, letting it be still, when we relax, let go of the habits of self-creation, then effort can be guided by mindfulness and wisdom, attunement to the time, the place, the situation. Attitude, intention, effort can all be informed by mindfulness and wisdom with no sense of self involved at all. No I, no me, no mine. It's the mind, the heart, the jitta awake to its own nature responding to the present experience, guided by mindfulness and wisdom. The intention is towards liberation, attunement to reality. The effort that arises from that intention is to let go of the unwholesome, cultivate the wholesome. But those efforts 
Don't have to have any I or me or mine involved. It's not my mind, my practice, me doing something to get somewhere. It's the jitta being awake now. And then what arises from that is skillful intention, skillful effort. And even if that effort is very potent, very strong, sincere, powerful effort is being made, that effort is not stressful. There isn't a kind of burdensome quality of doingness, efforting, me trying to get something, but sincere, dedicated, ardent effort can be made completely free of stress. Ardent effort is being made, but it's not agitating, not burdensome. It's peaceful, as well as being energetic. 